First Corinthians 13, verse 8. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Let us pray. Our Father, we bow to thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be left to our own opinions or ideas. We have a Bible to guide us, and I pray that you'd teach us thy truth from your Word tonight. Help me to, to rightly divide the Word of truth and represent you honestly and truthfully tonight. Bless our time together and meet the need of every heart in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are speaking on a, on a uh, uh, certainly an unusual subject, I guess, tonight, and that is speaking in tongues. Some of the fastest growing uh, uh, churches in America practice this and believe in this. And so what does the Bible say? That's the important thing. Well, uh, we find the Greek word is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A, and it's found 50 times in the New Testament. 16 times it is, refers to your literal tongue in your mouth. And uh, then one time it refers to a cloven tongue as fire in Acts chapter 2. 33 times it refers to languages. It does not refer at any time to, uh, to uh, something that is not a language at all. And, uh, but uh, we'd like to examine this, of course, from the Scripture. And uh, we're kind of taking this in, uh, in, in out of order, I guess. Uh, I have a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, usually I preach those first and then this one last uh, because it relates uh, to both of those. The just is passing, let me say, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience that takes place at the time of salvation. The filling of the Holy Spirit is that that hopefully occurs many times and is the simply the endowing of the Spirit of God to the work that God has called us to do. Now, as far as the use of tongues, uh, we find four places in the Bible that the use of tongues is referred to. And without a detailed examination, unless you want to be here till morning, of each of the scriptures, we'll not do that. We'll just simply give an overview of it, and you can go back and study it. The, most, uh, the first use of it is in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost was fully come. There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled those who were present there, and they, uh, or at least some of them, began to speak with other tongues, uh, or other languages. Uh, there was no need of an interpreter in Acts chapter 2. Uh, it was, again, on the day of Pentecost, a one-time experience, and uh, there's evidence, if you study it closely, I think, that the twelve apostles uh, began to speak with these other languages. Now, as the Spirit gave them utterance, it was a miracle. Uh, certainly, because they were able to preach. There were people there from about 16, I believe, if I remember right. About 16 different languages were present on the day of Pentecost. And they were able to preach in a language they had not studied. And the people were able to understand the message in the language, uh, in their own language. Which certainly was a great miracle of God. As a result, 3,000 were saved. 
Now, this experience has never been repeated as such. That was a special event as the resurrection was a special event and the day of Pentecost was a special event. Now, in Acts chapter 10, you have the second reference to tongues there. And uh, this is uh, when the gospel is carried to the Gentiles, to the house of Cornelius. You know, Peter is hesitant to go there and uh, the Lord convinces him to go and preach and and him and his household are saved, and, and the Spirit of God uh, falls upon them, and they speak with tongues uh, as an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I think the acceptance of the Gentiles by the Lord. Again, in both of these instances, in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10, uh, it was a language that did not require an interpreter. It was a known language that they spoke in, but a language they had not studied, and certainly was a miracle that God performed there. Then in Acts chapter 19, you have the third reference, and that is Paul finds these 12 men at Ephesus who had heard the message of John the Baptist from Apollos and had looked forward to the promised Messiah and been baptized, but they had no knowledge of the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. And we find that they likewise are, are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit of God, the pouring out of God's Spirit, and they speak with tongues and prophesy. Now, this was an isolated incident here, uh, and you do not find any reference to its repetition uh, in that manner. Again, no interpreter required because they spoke in a language that could be understood. Then the third reference is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And tonight we'd like to examine this chapter uh, as, as it deals with the gift of tongues in the church at Corinth here. Uh, this, uh, this chapter is uh, primarily used for uh, the support of the use of tongues in the church today. Those that practice this, we'll break it down in three areas, an explanation of the tongues in the first 22 verses, the use of tongues in the church, verse 23 through 26, and the restrictions that were placed upon the use of tongues in the remainder of the chapter. So let's just begin uh, with verse 1 of chapter 14. And it says, follow after charity. Now charity is the subject of chapter 13, which means love. And he gives an explanation of what real charity is and real love is in that chapter. And he says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Now, if you study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, it's the normal order that we would study this, you'll find he gives an explanation of the various gifts of the Spirit of God. And there were a variety of gifts, the greatest being prophesying. Uh, the Word of God was not completely written at that time. Uh, the New Testament was not completed. And so the Lord gave these special gifts by the Spirit of God. And chapter 14 is, is uh, exalting the gift of prophecy, which was the greatest of gifts, and the use of tongues was the least of the gifts. And you have a variety of gifts uh, mentioned there in, in chapter 12, and you can study that there. Uh, and, uh, well, let's look back in chapter 12 just briefly. Verse 9 to another well, let's see, verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another word, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing 
by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discern of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another an interpretation of tongues. But all these work of that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. So he gives the variety of gifts that were given. And in chapter 14, again, he compares the greatest of the gifts, prophecy, to the least of the gifts of the tongues, which was certainly being abused and misused. So he says, follow charity, desire spiritual gifts, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue. Now the word unknown is misused and misapplied. It is unknown in the sense it is unknown to the one that was given the gift. It does not mean it was a language that no one on earth understood. That's not what he's talking about. That it is some kind of a heavenly language that no one knows. But he that speaketh in an unknown, unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now if I could speak German tonight, and no one in this building understood German, then it would be unknown, right? And God would understand it. God understands German and Spanish. That he understands every language on earth. But, but I, I would not. I know when I went to Mexico on a mission trip, I spoke through an interpreter. And, and they could not understand me, and I certainly could not understand them. But uh, he says here that, uh, that this was a gift that God gave, and the person that was speaking uh, was speaking a mystery even to himself and to others. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men edification and exhortation and comfort. So the contrast, if a person gives forth the word of God that can be understood, then the, then the people that are listening can be helped and edified. If I got up tonight and I could speak in German, I preached a whole message in German, you go away and say, what was the world was he talking about? Didn't do me a bit of good at all. And so uh, I know when I was in Mexico there and preaching, that was kind of a unique experience. I'd say something, then Brother Otis seals and interpret. I'd say something else and he'd interpret. He said, now don't listen to me. Because if you do, you'll forget what you were saying. But that was hard. <laughs> you know, I'd say something, and then I'd listen to him, which didn't make any sense. And, and then I'd say, now where was I? <laughs> but uh, uh, the missionary we had from Ukraine, you know, he, was, he's, he had the ability uh, to interpret even while, you know, the, while Bob Gray was preaching continuously, he could, he could interpret continuously, which is quite, a, quite an amazing feat, I'd say. Well, he said the prophesying edifies and exhorts and comforts. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So those that had the gift of tongues, they felt good about it, and certainly this was a supernatural gift that God had bestowed, and it, it, it encouraged them and edified them. They said, well, I, the Spirit of the Lord is enabling me to do this, but it did not help anyone else because nobody understood it. But in, other, in uh, contrast, the prophesying edified the church. Now verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now he's getting down to the use of it. We'll see that later on in the message. That, uh, uh, that it's, it's better... Uh, he said, if you're going to speak in tongues, then someone needs to be able to interpret what you're saying. Otherwise, nobody gets any benefit from it. And then he goes on, Now, brethren, 
If I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. And basically that's what we've been saying. If it does not edify, if it doesn't help, nobody understands it, then what good is it? Now he gives three illustrations in, uh, in uh, these verses that follow here. First of all, he uses illustration of a musical instrument. Verse 7, even things without life given sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction of the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For the trumpet given uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now Lynn played the song there in, in the offering, I'd rather have Jesus. And you probably understood that song, right? Now I'm going to play something. You have never heard me play, but you're going to hear me play, and I want you to tell me what I'm playing. Now, can anyone name that song? <laughs> nobody? Nobody can name that song? I'm surprised. No, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> now, I played the piano, didn't I? But there was no distinction. I just, I just went over there and just started beating on some notes there, and it meant nothing. And he uses that comparison. So he said if a person gets up and speaks in another language and nobody understands it, then it has no meaning at all to the person that's listening. Just like he uses a musical instrument. Now, uh, you know, if you hit the certain notes and the, you hit the right keys, then you can, you can follow along. Even though you don't have a, you don't have a song in front of you or, or whatever, you can follow along and say, yeah, that's amazing grace. I can follow. That sounds like amazing grace. It gives a distinction in the sound. Now he talks about, uh, he uses his second illustration, the bugle called a battle. If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So here's a person there, they, uh, you know, they have to understand if they're blowing charge or retreat. If nobody understands what it means, then how will they know what to do? They may, they, the, they may blow the bugle and, and, and want everybody to charge, but everybody runs off, so they're blowing retreat. It has to have a distinction in the sound. Then he uses the illustration of daily conversation. So likewise, you accept you utter by the tongue, words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken for you shall speak into the air? And there are many, there are, it may be so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. He that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. So in daily conversation, you know, I, the only language I can communicate in is English. Now I can say good morning in Spanish, and goodbye, <laughs> I think. I think that's about all I can remember. And I know a little Greek. Someone said I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew, and they both run restaurants. <laughs> but uh, I do. I used to know a little Greek. I did study that in school. But anyway, in, in, in English, if I'm going to communicate with a person, they're going to have to communicate with me in English. Otherwise, I cannot understand them. Uh, so he uses these three illustrations. Basically, they say that whatever we speak in needs to be understood. Otherwise, it serves no purpose at all except to maybe cause the person that's involved in it to feel better uh, if they think, well, I have the gift or whatever. Now, 
uh, verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray, that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Even the person that, you know, that if they were given the gift, let's say a person could not speak in Spanish, but they were given this supernatural gift to speak in Spanish that they had not studied. But if they did not understand, if they did not get the gift of interpretation at the same time, then what good did it do them? They could not understand it even themselves, much less help anyone else. And that's what he's talking about there. Now, if I, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, if thou givest of thanks, seeing understandeth not what thou sayest. So it's all right to, it's all right to say amen, isn't it? And, uh, uh, you know, if another person says something that's true, amen means basically so be it, or I, I agree with that. That's the truth. And, and that's always in order. But if, but if you don't understand what a person's saying, then how do you know where to say amen or not? Uh, and I heard a preacher one time, and he was, uh, you know, it's, a person can put their amens misplaced. Them. And uh, he, is, he is a preacher, and he is telling this story about, uh, about uh, someone, you know, that, uh, uh, that had cancer or something. They said, praise God, glory to God, hallelujah. Well, uh, I think their, their praise was a little misplaced, you know. And so he says, if we, if we say amen at the giving of thanks, then we need to understand what the person is saying. For thy verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. So the Apostle Paul uh, uh, had the ability to speak in, in a number of languages. And I've heard different opinions about how many languages he actually could speak in. The common everyday language of that day was Greek. Of course, the Jews, you know, knew the Hebrew, no doubt. And, and then you had the Roman language, the Latin language, and, and other languages, of course, in that part of the world. So he spoke in variety. The Apostle Paul was very educated. And he said, I speak with tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my, with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now here he places the importance. 2,000 to 1 against using tongues in the church. He said, you're better off, you're better off to, uh, to speak five words that people can understand than, uh, than 10,000 here that nobody can understand. So he talks about the importance of it. Brethren, be not children in understanding, how be it in malice, be ye children, but in understanding, uh, be men. In the law it is written, with a men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Now the tongues were for a sign, verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesy and serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And here he's not talking about the unbelieving sinner, as we'll see in the following verses. Uh, but the Jews require a sign. Uh, 
And God gave these special sign gifts to the early church, to the Jewish people, as a sign to the Jewish people and those early Christians uh, of, of uh, what he was really doing and getting the church established and all. And uh, we find that uh, the same word uh, that is translated in John 20, 27 as faithless is the same word here that is translated uh, believe not. Uh, and uh, I've got an outline here, and I don't think I'm following it very well, but uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll give you what we have here. So we have the use of tongues, uh, or the, uh, uh, the explanation of tongues in the church. Now we have the use of tongues. Uh, we have uh, uh, verse uh, 12 through 25, the application. We saw the illustrations. We have the application to the speaker himself. We talked about that in verse 12 through 15 and the edifying of the individual. Uh, we talked about the effect upon other believers in verse 16 through 20, and then the unsaved person in the following verses here. So we have the use of tongues in the church in verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? So now it turns to the unbelievers, to those that come in that are not saved, and everybody's speaking in a different language. And nobody understands anybody. Everybody's speaking in another language. People come in and say, those people are crazy. I went up there to that church, and everybody was speaking a language, different languages, and nobody understood what anyone else was saying. And what do they go away? And they say, they must be mad. That's what he said. That will be the response. Now he talks about uh, the, the difference in, in uh, uh, the use of uh, the speaking in tongues and the prophesying, verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he's judged of all. So here comes a person in, and they hear the word of God, they understand what they hear, and they're convinced. And they understand the message. And what, it, what happens? And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. So falling down on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So here he hears the word of God. He hears the prophesying. He hears the word of God being given out. He's convinced that he's a sinner. Secrets of his heart are made manifest. He's convicted of his sin. He falls down on his face. He repents of his sin. He worships God. He gets saved. And he reports that God's in you of a truth. Now, which is more important? Someone stand up, uh, speaking in a language that nobody understands, that they don't even understand, that others don't understand, and people come in, they're unsaved, and they say they're crazy, they're mad, or a person speaking in a language that people can understand, and they hear it, and they get convicted, and they get saved. Which is more important? Well, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Which is more important? Well, he, uh, he says, uh, How is it then, brethren, when you come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, that all things be done unto edifying. So what was happening in the church at Corinth? The church at Corinth had a lot of problems. They were a very carnal church. And the, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that uh, that they had many, many problems that are recorded in this chapter that Paul writes to correct in the church. So it was, not a, it was not noted for its great spirituality. 
It was noted for its division, for its carnality. And a man was committing fornication with his stepmother under, probably there in chapter 5. And, and there was a lot of problems in this particular church. And there was a problem with the gifts of the Spirit that were valid and real, that God was bestowing, but there was a misuse of the gifts. And Paul is writing to correct this misuse in the church and how they were, they were not following the scriptural uh, commandment in how to use it. And that's where we come to the third issue, the restrictions that are placed upon the use of tongues in the church. Now, he said, let all things be done unto edifying. Uh, in verse 26, everybody had this particular gift and they thought, well, I've got to express my gift. I've got to, I've got to speak in my tongue and I've got to do my thing. And, and, and uh, he says, if it edifies, good. But if it doesn't, then he places these restrictions. Now, uh, we read that in verse 27. If any man, and you may underline man, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now this was restrictions in, 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 in any individual service that, uh, uh, that a man is the only one that could speak in an unknown tongue or another language. And they could only have two or three in any one service. They could not have a whole congregation getting up and speaking in tongues. And that by course, which means one at a time, so if, if you went to a service and overhear someone speaking unknown tongue and overhear someone speaking unknown tongue and overhear someone speaking unknown tongue and not all around, all around the church everybody's speaking at the same time, the Bible says that is not permitted. It had to be one at a time, not over two or three in any one service, and only men could speak in an unknown tongue. We'll see that later. He, he defines it a little, a little clearer. You say, well, that man could be mankind, man or a woman. Well, I think, it, I think it's more than that, as we'll see in the later verses. And then he said, there, let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself unto God. So he's very clear, if there was nobody that could interpret the language, that, that had the gift of interpretation to understand the language, then the person was not permitted to speak in tongues in the church. There had to be an interpreter, not over two or three in any one service, had to be one at a time. And then he goes on, let the prophet speak two or three, let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. Now, in other words, all everybody trying to talk at the same time. Now, what if, I, what, if, what if four or five of us stood up tonight and we was all preaching at the same time? You say, man, I can't understand what's going on. I'm trying to listen to this, and this over here is trying to preach, same time. And you got three or four preachers standing up here preaching all at the same time, preaching on different subjects, and, and you, that'd be mass confusion. And that's what he's, what he's trying to point out here. It'd be confusing when it comes to preaching. It'd be confusing when it comes to the use of tongues. For, we, for you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And verse 32 is an important verse. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. People say, well, I just can't help it. I just had to do it. I just had to do it. It's not what the Bible says, is it? The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And, uh, you know, I was, reading, uh, I was reading one writer, and he, 
uh, he was, uh, he said, uh, he had preached a couple of times at this particular conference and said this fellow, you know, they were allotted a certain amount of time, whatever, 30 minutes or whatever they may have had to, to speak or to preach, and said this one fellow always took about half of his time. He followed him and he took about, he said, I just kind of have it. <laughs> and he said, he, he, he quoted this verse, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know, if I, if I go to another church to preach and the pastor says, you have 30 minutes, then that's all I've got is 30 minutes. And, and I'm to honor that, I believe that. Well, anyway, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So he said that, that in other words, we don't have, we don't have uh, uh, prophets, you know, uh, going on and on and on without any restriction. Now, he says, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, and as in all churches of the saints. And that's, that's a broad statement there. If it causes confusion, then God's not the author of it. You know? And a lot of God gets blamed for a lot of things that he didn't have anything to do with. Now, verse 34 backs up what I said a while ago. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. They will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about tongues. He's not saying that a woman cannot testify I don't think a woman ought to teach men. Timothy talks about that. The, uh, the woman cannot usurp authority over the man. That's why a woman's not scripturally qualified to be a pastor. Now, I know there are groups that believe that a woman can pastor. Sometimes I, I know of churches where the husband and the wife, they're co-pastors. And, and the husband will preach maybe one service and the wife will preach one service. But the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, let me just turn to Timothy since I mentioned that. In uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, verse chapter 2 and verse 11, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. He's not talking again about testifying or women or teaching younger women. The Bible, the Bible allows that. And, and uh, he talks about the age of women to teach the young women, and that's permitted. But a woman cannot be in a position of authority where they're preaching or pastoring or, or, or teaching men because that it would be uh, unscriptural. Now, uh, the scripture that we read, Jerry, let your women learn silence, is talking in the context of the scripture, is talking about tongues, right? That's the, that's the subject of the chapter. Uh, the, is, is what he's talking about. So if you study in the context, that's what he has to do with. So the restriction is, it was for men only. No woman was permitted to speak in tongues in the church. And the fact is, I don't know of any church that practices, and there may be, but I don't know of any church that practices tongues today that follows that restriction. Uh, they allow women to speak in tongues, which the Bible is clearly, clearly forbids. And, uh, and that's, he says, they're not permitted to speak. If they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. And again, he's talking the context of tongues. That's the subject of the chapter. Well, he says, what? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. 
Well, what Paul was given was not his opinion. He was given the word of God. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues, that all, thing be, all things be done decently and in order. So uh, an interesting note is that, uh, that the, only, the only church that you have any scriptural reference to the use of tongues in the church, uh, in the early church, except the scriptures I, I gave you in the book of Acts, on those one-time one occasions, the day of Pentecost, which is not repeat, repeated, and in, in chapter 10 of Cornelius, which is not repeated, then chapter 19 was it, those, that special occasion. And though, as far as its use in the church, this is the only evidence uh, of its being used in the church was the church of Corinth. You don't find it referred to as being used in the other churches. Now, it may, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't. I don't know. But the Bible does not speak that it was used in the other churches. Now, uh, he says... Uh, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, back to the scripture uh, that, I, that I started with here. In chapter 8, charity never faileth. That is, love never fails. Where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Now, the supernatural gift of prophecy till the scripture was completely written uh, was present and given. That supernatural gift is no longer present in the church. Now, uh, a, pray, a person that preaches or teaches the Word of God, they prophesy in the sense of, of giving forth the Word of God. But I do not have the ability or the gift to write Scripture or to give forth, give forth truth that, that is on the same level as Scripture. I don't have that ability. I don't have that gift. You know, some preachers, I, I, I talked to a preacher one time and he, he, he thought that since he was a pastor of the church that God gave him a special gift that he could, when he spoke forth things to the church, it, it carried the same weight of scripture. I think you're treading dangerous ground. That's, that's the basis in the Mormon religion. Joseph Smith, you know, who wrote the Book of Mormon, uh, he, he believed that, uh, that his, what he received supposedly from the Lord uh, was the same, carried the same weight of Scripture. But the Bible says the prophecies here, where there be prophecies, they shall fail. This special gift would stop. Now, when I give forth the Word of God, that is the Word of God, and that carries the weight of the Word of God. When I give my opinion and that's just my opinion. It may be right or it may not be right. It does not carry the same weight as Scripture. Prophets, this special gift of, that was given in that day, he says, would fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. That simply means they would come to a complete end. We'll find out when it would happen. Tongues would cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When will it cease? When that which is perfect is come. People say that's when Jesus comes. That is not what that verse says. Anyone I told you I studied a little Greek and I don't know a lot of it, but I know, I know this. When that which is perfect is come, it's in the neuter sense. It is not masculine. He's not talking about the coming of Christ. 
He's talking about the Word of God. You know, sometimes we refer to a person as an it. You know, it is so beautiful. It is so, it is so handsome. It is so cute. Uh, you know, we know that the English language, that is not proper English, that a, a, a little boy or a little girl is not an it. They are an he or a she, right? Uh, this pulpit stand is an it. You know, I could say it is made of wood. Uh, but uh, I would not refer to you as it. I'd say, you know, he or she. And that's, that's uh, an idea here. What is that which is perfect is come. He's talking about when the word of God is completed. Bible says, whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty. In the book of James, I believe it is. He's talking about the word of God. Uh, and here, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So these gifts of the Spirit, these supernatural gifts of the Spirit that were present in the early church, the Bible teaches that when the Word of God's completed, and I believe it is completed, Revelation says don't add anything to it or take anything away. So how could you, not, how could you do that and, and add more to it? It is completed. So when the Word of God's completed, then the gift of tongues would cease because they would serve no purpose. And that's, uh, I do not believe they are to be used in the church today uh, because I believe the Bible teaches that they would stop. That's what he says, right? Where there be tongues, they shall cease. And he, I think it's clear when he said they would cease. And, uh, and furthermore, uh, if, it, if it was the, the, the fact that I, another reason I don't believe they're, they're used it's a special gift today is because it does not fall. If, if God the Holy Spirit was given this gift today, don't you think that the Holy Spirit would, would cause people to follow the Scripture? I don't think the Holy Spirit's ever going to lead you to violate the Scripture. You know, He's not going to lead me to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. What if I got up next Sunday and I preached uh, that... Uh, you know, that uh, the way you get to go to heaven is uh, to give $1,000 to the church. You give $1,000, you can go to heaven. Would that be right? You think the Holy Spirit would direct me to do that? Never. Holy Spirit would never lead me to do that because that would be a direct contradiction to the written Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will never lead me to do something that violates the Scripture. So the Holy Spirit always follows what the Bible teaches us to do. Now, the danger today is, uh, is the matter of sign, and these gifts were a sign to, this, or to the early believers. Uh, but the Bible says in the last days that people will be looking for a sign, and uh, the devil's going to come and give people a sign. I'm not going to try to stand up here tonight and judge. I think they're, I think they're good, good people. Uh, you know, that, that simply have not been taught the Scripture. And uh, I think some of it is, is you know, the, the people that you uh, associate with, you tend to become like the people that you're around. Uh, and uh, I have, may have some personal ideas about, about what may be happening, but, uh, but I'll leave that to the Lord. I'll leave that judgment to, other, to the Lord Himself, not try to pass any judgment. I have, uh, I have good friends that 
that believe it is, it is to be used in the church today. But I, I think we have seen from the Scripture uh, what the Bible tells us, that it is not to be used, and when it is used, it violates what the Bible very clearly says. Okay, I hope this has helped us uh, understand it, and I've, I've just hit the highlights high of it and haven't gone into all the details of it, but certainly I hope it will whet your appetite to study it further for yourself. Let's bow our heads, please.